The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, God, Abba, you are our Heavenly Father. And your works of miracles is present in our lives every day. We just have to look for them. We need to listen to your silent voice, still voice, and, and seek it. Not, not listening to everything around us, but really seeking your word, your voice, your, your, your touch. Father, there are people in this church that are sick in nursing homes like, uh, Miss Betty and, uh, Miss Beverly. And others. And Lord, our senior saints, we need to lift them up in prayer and ask that you, you put a hedge of uh, comfort and peace and rest around them. And Father, more importantly for this whole church this morning, I, I pray for peace and rest and calmness. We live in a crazy world right now. And being a Christian, we are subtly being attacked every day. And Lord, I would just ask for your protection. And the gift that you can give us that we can be comforted, knowing that you and the Holy Spirit are by our side all the time. Father, Lord, we just love you so much. And we pray this in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, yesterday morning, about 10.45, get a text. Fred, I'm not feeling well. Uh, could you prepare a short message, maybe on standby? And I don't, I said, no, it's not going to be a standby either. I go away, I don't go. <laughs> you know, you stay home, I'll do this. And you know, he took some convincing, but he, he's not here and I am. So I only say that because I didn't have a whole lot of time. You know, I had six, seven hours that Cindy will tell you that. She went out yesterday three or four times, didn't know she had been gone. She comes home last night at 8.30, I'm still working, and where have you been, you know? I, I thought she was in the bedroom watching TV, but... Surprise. So, bear with me if some of this sounds disjointed, but I'll try to work it through. Uh, what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be conducting an analysis of Jesus' response to the Pharisees' ridicule. In Luke 16, uh, verses 14 through 17, which is going to be our verses this morning, Luke 16, 14 to 17, it teaches us about the Pharisees' And their misunderstanding of possessions. Their misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. Their misunderstanding of the law. You know, Luke 16 primarily deals with the topic of possessions. And there are, as I see, if you really do an analysis, there are three sections to chapter 16. I think the first section is the parable of the dishonest manager, which is 16, 1 to 13. And today we're going to focus on Jesus' response to the ridicule of the Pharisees in the second section. And then next week we'll be doing a third section, which is about the rich, uh, rich man and Lazarus, to show that God is concerned not about the use of possessions, but how the poor are treated. 
So as I said this morning, we're going to be studying the section, second section, which is Luke, uh, Luke 16, verses uh, 14 to 17. Now, if you have read those verses, for some people it might be a difficult passage to understand. Um, one of my personal heroes is he's passed away now, but was Pastor Adrian Rogers, who was really a great, great theologian. And he said about 14 through 18, this short section forms a bridge between the parable of the unrighteous steward and the parable of the rich man in Lazarus. And the logic of thought, and this is a professional pastor, been around a long time, the logic of the thought is difficult and has been the object of much discussion. So this morning we're going to talk about what this passage means to me. As I said, it may appear difficult, might be difficult for us to seek the help sometimes of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's difficult to ask for his insight and understanding of this morning's text. But before we do, let's read about the law and the kingdom of God in Luke 16. Now, as we honor and praise God, if you're physically able, and uh, would you please stand up with me? And if you would, open your copy of God's Word, which is Luke 16, 14 to 17. And if you do, open up your copy of God's Word. And if you don't have God's Word, they're on the screen. So, let's read. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But I say it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Thank you. You may be seated. So you read it, and I'm sure there's a couple of things that point out to you and go, hmm, didn't see that before. But let me tell you a story. In December of uh, 1865, just months after the Civil War ended, the 13th Amendment was passed, which outlawed slavery, and it was ratified and became the law of the United States. But that didn't mean that every state approved of the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Did you know that Mississippi, this state legislature, did not immediately approve the ratification of the amendment? 130 years passed before Mississippi took action. Finally, on Thursday, February 16, 1995, the Mississippi Senate voted unanimously to outlaw slavery by approving the ratification of the 13th Amendment. There was a black senator, his name was Hillman Frazier at that time, and he was a member of the Mississippi Legislation Black Caucus. He said, I think it's very important for us to show the world that we have put the past behind us. Sometimes we need to do that. The past is gone. We can't change it. We can just move forward. So just as there was a resistance in some state for ratifying the end of slavery uh, in the United States, so today, today, there is also resistance in people accepting God's kingdom. And although it's true in our day, it was also true of the Pharisees in Jesus' time. They resisted Jesus' teaching about the arrival of the kingdom of God. In fact, they ridiculed Jesus for his teaching. But Jesus, as he always did, responded to them. 
So kind of let's pretend we're in a, you know, a classroom. Let's kind of conduct an analysis of Jesus' response to the Pharisees' ridicule. This passage this morning teaches us about the misunderstanding of possessions, God's law, the kingdom of God. So we're going to have two points of reference to look at that this morning. Point A is the ridicule of the Pharisees, and that's found in 1614. And then the response of Jesus in 16, uh, 15 through 17. So let's begin to look at the ridicule of the Pharisees. Another little, yeah, bless you. A, a, another little um, illustration. In the early 1990s, President George Bush had a guy that was his uh, chief of staff. He was kind of a fiery guy. His name was John Sununu. And uh, he was the chief of staff. And chief of staff is like, if you know their jobs, they're almost stronger than the president because nothing gets to the president until it goes through the chief of staff. You just can't walk up and say, here you go, I got this for you. No, the chief of staff is the gatekeeper. And Sununu was asked once by a reporter if his job was difficult. And he answered with a quick no. And the reporter thought that Sununu had misunderstood the question, so he asked it again, and he got the same reply. The chief of staff explained... I have only one constituent, and I knew his job was, to, and I knew my job is to please the president. Now I don't know if Johnson Noonan is a Christian, but he did understand what Jesus had taught in, to his disciples in Luke sixteen thirteen, because it says, "No man, no servant, can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other." For today's message, I want to tell us that we, we can't serve God in money. We can't serve God in money. And Jesus wanted his disciples and us to understand the truth that the love of money will displace love for God. What's the subtle difference there? Subtle difference is, he said, the love of money didn't say it's not good to have money, but it's the love, the driving force that, that's the problem. Luke said in Pharisees, uh, verse 14, that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things. And the Pharisees apparently regarded money as their rightful reward for the faithful observance of the law. In other words, they felt entitled They believed that God blessed them with the financial abundance because of their obedience to God's law. I think that the covetousness of the Pharisees is shown when they regard their wealth as a special blessing for their carelessness in the observance of the law. They had contempt for Christ's teachings, which declared that there is a danger in wealth. And there's a rule to promote righteousness. So when Jesus came along, he was poor. His disciples were poor. And he warned them of the danger of wealth. And the Pharisees did not believe that God's blessing was upon them. And the Pharisees disagreed with Jesus, you think, that they had to make a choice between whom they were served. They believed, the Pharisees, that God was blessing them with finance because of their devotion to God. 
But in spite of their ridicule of Jesus, who was telling them something totally different, they were in fact lovers of money. If you see, if you've seen the uh, the chosen, and you see the rabbis, they're kind of tricked out with really good clothes, right? They got the best robes. They get the ephops have all the best jewels on them. The twelve Jews of the tribes, and they just look good. And the, their arrogance is. I got money. I'm doing so good. God's blessing me. Well, how are they getting their money? Was really the question. And were they? Was it? Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. So their real master was the money and not God. So I have to ask myself this morning, and you. And okay, here's a caveat, Fred. Caveat. If I step on your toes. Said something you don't like. Take it up with the Holy Spirit, because He gave me the message. Okay, I'm not out here to condemn anybody, to indict anybody, to embarrass anybody. So it's between you and God. So if you get mad at me, it's okay. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. So I have to ask myself this morning, and maybe you will too: Which master are you serving? Is Jesus Christ the master of your heart? Are you still slaving away for money? So let me put this out there. There are several warning signs that may help us see that there are we are more in love with money than we are with God. And uh, there goes that squirrel. You know, I'm sorry, breaking off. The squirrel just ran by. Um, if you're internet savvy. Uh, there's a theologian and a pastor that I particularly agree with on this topic. And his name is Justin Peters. So if you type in Justin Peters. And he exposes many examples of this happening in our time. And he kind of exposes pastors that are doing the Pharisee thing. So check him out. Um, Justin Peters. If you go to YouTube or Google, he, they, he's got tons of them. And I agree with about 95% of what he talks So. So back to the message. I'm sorry. Uh, please, 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 please believe me. I'm not judging anyone this morning. You know who I'm judging? Me. Watashiwa, Japanese for me. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, let us see if any of these things are true of you. So let's begin. When you are anxious about our finances and not trusting God to provide for our needs today and tomorrow, I would answer that with, we are in love with money, and it's power to make us feel more secure. When our lives are so full of work that we have to say no to Christian service. Why? Because we are in love with money, and we've given it mastery over our schedule. You know, everyone's got a schedule now, a calendar on your phone or whatever. I know I got like, three of them. I, I, my calendar is set, but you have to do things unexpectedly. What was it last Thursday, eleven o'clock in the morning? I get a call from Pasadena Palms uh, Hospital. I'm a on-call chaplain for him, and I had to go in and comfort a family. And comfort a man as he was transitioning to glory. Was not on my calendar at all that day. 
My calendar had a couple other things in there, but I had to stop. I could have said, ah, you know, I'm a volunteer. I don't have to do this. But yeah, you do. Because I know if I had not done that, God was going to make it clearly clear to me that I had not obeyed him. So we have to, you know, money doesn't have the mastery over our service or our schedule. And when we find our thoughts returning again and again to something we're hoping to buy, we're in love with money and it's power to get what we think we want. When we make employment decisions that are spiritually unwise for ourselves and our families, we're in love with money and our plans for getting more of it. When we find ourselves wishing we had some material possession that God's given to someone else. Hey, let me tell you, happens to me almost daily. I'm member to a member of a yacht club, and I'll see these boats coming by, and I'm saying, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could have that. <laughs> but, you know, God says, no, you got your boat. Don't worry about their boat. <laughs> but, you know, you, and what happens is, uh, you know, we want to have it. We want to bring money to us. You know, when we spend time complaining about what we have and what we do not have, and most sometimes we'll rejoice in what we do have, we're in love with money. And we depend on our possessions rather than God to give us contentment and joy. I want that big house. McMansions, I think they call them. A couple of years ago, Every yuppie in town had to buy this big 4,000-square-foot 4, house. You go to the door, knock, and there's no furniture. Maybe a TV or a beanbag, they, but they have two cars in the driveway. They got the big plastic playground for the kids, but they got nothing inside. Why? Because they went big and didn't make the plans to do what should be done. Sometimes we find it difficult or even impossible to give up something we want in order to give a full biblical tie or make a sacrificial gift to a Christian who's doing God's work. That means sometimes there was a time I had three boats. I was boat poor. You know, I would just want to sell one just so I could... Some guy was going on a mission trip, I forget where, to make sure he could get it. Sometimes we have to give when it hurts, when there's a little stress. You know, we're more in love with money than we are with the gospel and what it can change, do to change the world. Now, I know these are tough questions, but how did you respond to these warning signs? There's two answers. Is God your master, or is money your master? Something to think about. We have kids that are going to go to camp this summer. Some of them don't have money, and they come from people that can't afford the, the money. And you know what? Dig into your pocket. Give so we can send that kid on, you know, on a scholarship to a camp. What a wonderful thing to do. Because when you have kids that are ready to go to camp and spend all time learning about the Lord, we should be taking out our wallets and saying, Here, what do you need? And we'll sit there and we'll nod and say, Yep, 
Good, great idea. God, yes, we need to. But when it comes, push comes to shove, do you really do it? So we're going to move on, and we're going to look at the response of Jesus in uh, verses uh, 15 to 17. And Jesus, at this point, actually gives a threefold response. And the first one is the misunderstanding of possessions in 1615. And Jesus' first response has to do with that misunderstanding. In 1615, it says this, You are those who justify yourself before men. Here's the kicker line, which is the topic of our message today. But God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You can't hide from God. And we'll talk about it in a couple minutes. I think there's also another word that we should put in there. The Pharisees believed that the abundance of their possessions proved that God had blessed them. So they presented themselves as people justified before God. I'm an important guy. The people following me. But Jesus says this, God knows your heart. You know, I believe it's a little bit even deeper than that. Christ knows the heart of men, and he also knows the motives. What's the motive? I, you know, I think it's hidden behind the public practice of charity. What, were the, what was the motive? And, and I think the question that's not asked is whether they were honored by men on account of their wealth and their outward piety, But, you know, whether God esteems them or not, the Pharisees tried to justify themselves by means of their financial success. And, you know, there's a part of us sometimes that we may do the same thing. We might try to justify ourselves before others and by God and by means of our church attendance or ministry activities or financial givings or any one of the number of religious activities. Here's what I'm saying. You could be here every time the door is open. And sometimes you come and it's not open and you have a key. You know, i got to tell you, this is about as fire and brimstone preaches as I'm about to get. So, you you know, it's my Baptist training. (laughs) What Jesus said to the Pharisees is true for us as well. God knows what's in our hearts. God knows that we are sinners and we have broken his law. God knows that we are destined for hell. God knows that the only way we to be saved is to repent of our sins and believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin. Now, I know at times we hear words like from the preacher talking about sanctification, regeneration, justification, And you might zone out. In my case, my eyes used to glaze over and I'd start to drift. So this morning, I want to talk about justification just a little bit. And I like this definition of justification. Justification is the act of God's free grace, where he pardons all our sins. And he accepts us as righteous in his sights. This morning, and get ready. Uh, what is it? What was that? Headphone somewhere. It was uh, like quotes for the day, which I get, and 
It talked about where is it? Well, I don't have it. But it basically said that righteousness I can't use it because I can't remember it. It was a tough question. And I can't remember what it was, but that's okay. Justification is this act of free grace. My folks and friends, money and possessions do not save us. Jesus teaches that his disciples, they serve God and not money. I'd like you to just indulge with me for a minute while I give you a short illustration. Some of you might have heard of this fellow. His name was Dr. W.A. Griswold. He was the pastor of the largest Southern Baptist church in the world at that time, back in like the 18, 1910s, something like that. And he was entertained at the home of one of his deacons, who was James L. Kraft. And Kraft was the superintendent of schools, and he was also the founder of Kraft Foods, you know, Kraft Cheese. And he said, Kraft said that as a young man, he had had a desire to be one of the most famous manufacturers and salesmen of cheese in the world. And he planned on becoming rich and famous and making and selling his cheese. So he began as a young guy with a little buggy pulled by a pony named Patty. And after making his cheese, young Kraft would load his wagon and he and Patty would walk down the streets of Chicago trying to sell cheese. So months passed, and the young craft began to get despaired because he was not making any money in spite of all the long hours and hard work he put into it. So one day he pulls his pony to a stop, and he begins to talk to the horse. He says, Patty, there's something wrong. We're not doing it right. And I'm afraid we have things turned around, and our priorities are not what they ought to be. Maybe we ought to serve God and place him first in our life. That's a quote from Kraft, talking to a, 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 a pony. Kraft then drove home, went to his room, got on his knees, made a covenant with God that for the rest of his life he would first serve God, and then he would work as God directed. Well, many years after that, Griswold heard Kraft say this at church. Kraft said, I would rather be a layman in the North Shore Baptist Church than the head of the greatest corporation in America. Pretty humbling. Serve God or worry about the positions. Serve God, you still you'll be blessed. Kraft's done pretty well, you know. His company's still going strong. He was faithful. He had made a covenant. Essentially, what he was saying is, my first job is serving Jesus. Can you say that today? I don't know if I told you my story, so you might have heard it. I, I didn't get saved until I was like 42 years old. And then things worked out, and I got a great job in Delaware. I was the port director for the Port of Wilmington, Delaware. And I was driving home March 17th. In the, well, in the morning, Holy Spirit said, I don't want you to do this. You need to get into the ministry. And I said, Wow. I can't do that. I'm making a ton of money. Everything's cool. So, Holy Spirit said, he convicted me real hard. I drive home. Hey, Cindy, uh, got anything we need to do around the house for, for any projects or anything like that? Well, why? 
That's the first question. Why? Why? <laughs> what have you done now? <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I said, well, honey, uh, I quit my job today. Almost went apoplectic on me. But this is how God works. That was on a Friday. That Sunday, I went. To, we went to church, and I went. I made an appointment before to see my pastor. So I, a lady walked out. I walked in. I said, "You know, Pastor, you need a a, a, a children's minister." He says, "You're absolutely right. You want the gig?" I said, "Okay." He said, "Well, I can pay you twenty thousand dollars." I said, "You know, I love the Lord, but I don't want to eat cat food." <laughs> so then he said, "Well, can you?" Teach. I said, well, I have a teaching certificate in Florida when I went to North Florida to, get, to become a teacher. I haven't used it, but I can. He said, well, our high school English teacher just resigned after 22 years. I said, no. He said, she just walked out, walked by. He said, you want the job? I said, okay, but I can't eat cheese. So he bumped it up to about $50,000. And it was one of the greatest experiences I had. I had to give up the money to do what God said for me to do. And I'll tell you, sometimes it's not easy. You know, we still do the stuff we used to do. We have two cars, brand new car. Got a house, everything paid for. She's got her car, and I have my truck. We're going on a cruise in a week. So we're still doing the stuff that we used to do when we were making a ton of money, and now we're not making a ton of money. It's God's provision. He rewards you and blesses you for following and doing what it is. So if if your first job is serving Jesus, can you say that today? Then there's a misunderstanding of the kingdom in chapter uh, verse 16. And Jesus' second response is to the misunderstanding of this. Jesus went on to say in verse 16, The law and the prophets were until John. Anybody know who that John was? John the Baptizer, exactly. So the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forced his way in. Now we're going to talk about that forced his way in, because sometimes I I didn't quite understand it. But the appearance of uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer, what that was, it was introducing the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And John began preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus and his disciples continued to claim, complain, uh, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. The phrase in verse 16 that kind of messes around people a little bit is, everyone forced his way into, that is, the kingdom of God. I think it's best to understand the ESV Bible is the Bible I use. And it says this. It said, everyone is forcibly urged into it, which makes more sense to me. Everyone is forcibly urged into it. So John was forcefully urging people to hear and believe the good news of the kingdom of God so that they could enter it. You think John was one of these guys who said, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? How about you? Can I tell you about Jesus? No! John was loudly proclaiming it. People were coming to the river because they heard him. You know, 
Scripture states that there were many, I have a hard time with this word because there's a couple of R's that us from Boston can't say. So it talks about many irreligious people. So I had to look up what did that word, what's that mean? The interesting definition is indifference or hostile to religion, having no religious beliefs. So again, Scripture states, many of these irreligious people responded to Jesus' good news, and the religious people refused to believe Jesus. By doing themselves, they excluded themselves from the kingdom of God. There's an Irish rock band, been around a long time, U2. Ever hear the singer Bono? He does a lot of, not, he doesn't sing much anymore, but he does a lot of philanthropy and stuff like that. Now, I, before I say this, I don't consider Bono a real good theologian, but sometimes he makes a good point. So let me tell you this. He was asked one time to explain the good news that he was having in his business, uh, in music, uh, in an interview. And Bono said, the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Grace and karma. So he was asked to explain the difference. And Bono said, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. Yet along comes the idea called grace to upend all that. Love interrupts the consequences of your action, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid things. I relate to that passage right there. Bono goes on to say, it doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Would you agree with me that Bono kind of hit the spot there? You know, he was saying, religiosity, you know, just one of those guys, will never, never save anyone. You can be as religious as you want. You can come to this church every Sunday, sit in the pew, but unless you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're just a a seat taker. You might, people say, ah, he's always at church. I don't know his heart. God does. God knows his motive. Jesus Christ came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and he taught that anyone may enter the kingdom of God by what? By repentance from sin and faith in Him. And it's just that simple. I teach the kids. I don't see one of them here. And some of you have heard me say this. It's like the ABCs. And kids get it. You admit you're a sinner. A, admit. B, you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of the Lord, King of Kings, and He died on the cross for you, and He rose again on the third day. B, C, you confess. Kids get that. We get it until C. You want me to confess. That's awful hard. God already know what you did. Just admit you did it and get on with it. It's just that simple. And then there's the misunderstanding of the law in verse 17. Jesus said this in 17, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. You know, although at his advent, we call it Pentecost, introduced the arrival of the King of God. 
But that did not mean that God's revelation of his law in the Old Testament was now going to be set aside. You know, you hear interesting concepts. concepts. Well, it's the Old Testament, you know, it's New Testament trumps it. No, the New Testament fulfills the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament. They're, hand, they're not there to pull apart and destroy each other. They work in sync with each other. We sometimes have a problem with that. The civil and ceremonial aspects of the law, which you read about in that, talk about their fulfillment in Jesus, while the moral law has ongoing continued validity. The Pharisees thought that they were pleasing God by keeping his law. You know, in fact, they were not. Because the Pharisees were perverting God's law, and that was displeasing him. You know, we sometimes do the same thing, don't we? Sometimes we see God's law, or at least I do, like a, a Chinese menu. Open it up. I'm going to take one from column A, one from B. C, I don't like that too much, so I don't want that. I'll get one from D. We pick and choose. Ain't that easy. We have to decide what it means to obey God and His law. Not Ten Commandments with an amendment by Fred that says, yeah, I'll work on this maybe. We have to determine, we have to decide what it means to obey God and His law. We have to under, we have to understand it. How do we do that? Read Scripture. We have to decide what it means to uh, understand God's law, but we also have to determine how God's law should be obeyed. And when we do that, here's the problem, we can always distort it when we change it. I don't think we have a worship team this morning, so we're closing up. We're going to beat the Methodists to lunch today. <laughs> Some of you get that. I <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> so, now we've analyzed the response of Jesus to the Pharisees' ridicule in Luke 6, 14-16. So, the big so, what should we do? What is necessary for us to enter the kingdom of God? You know, that's why Jesus' message is such good news. It's a message for people who know that they are not keeping God's law. It's a message for people who know that they're, but they're failing miserably. But they always have the big but. I circle all the buts in in the Bible when I'm reading verses. But... There's always a way to be saved. Always a way. You know, here's the truth, though, friends. God doesn't lower his standard. Anybody ever go to school where they graded on the curve? I'm a teacher. Any teachers in here? Why do we why do they grade on the curve? Tell you why they grave on a curve. Because the kids are not, they do statistics, and so if question number five is consistently wrong, people getting it wrong, we didn't teach it properly. So you have to bump that grade up, so the curve starts working. So now you get kids that are C's and become B's. 
So we're cutting people some slack. Well, God doesn't grade on the curve, okay? Doesn't grade on the curve. Grading on the curve, if you ask me, when I was teaching, I hated to do that. But sometimes I miss her and say, you mind doing that? And I said, yeah, I do, but you're the boss. So. so Christ provided the answer. Why? Because he's the one who paid the penalty of death for our sin. And as I said before, Bono is not a theologian. But I mean, he's got some great songs, great music. But I believe he said this very well. Almost sounds like a preacher when he said it. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that we who put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. It's not our good works that gets us into heaven. It's God. It's Jesus. You know, no matter, my friends, no matter how our good works, how many we do, they're never really sufficient and they won't get us into the kingdom of God. Instead, what gets us in the kingdom of God is the work that Jesus did in his life by his perfect obedience to the law. By his paying our debt on the cross, it paid the penalty for our sin. And when we believe the good news, what's the good news? Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We can enable, we are then enabled to enter the kingdom of God. So this morning, right now, if you would, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes or whatever. But with all my heart this morning, and I'm being as transparent as I could possibly be, I want to compel you to answer these questions to yourself. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sin? Do you believe that his obedience is credited to your account? So two questions. Are you willing to turn away from sin? And are you willing to serve God and God alone? I want you to know this and, and believe this. I really mean it. That if you put your trust in Jesus Christ and turn from sin, and your sin and my sin might be two different things. We have different stuff. There's not cookie-cutter sin. We have to put our trust in Jesus and turn away from our sins. And you, if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I guarantee you, based on the authority of Scripture, that you will enter into the kingdom of God. It's that simple. So if you've never made that commission or confession or commitment, do so today. Now, if you made that decision this morning, I'm not going to have you stand up and Oh, praise God, and go down and stuff. But after the service, if you made that decision, come see me or John or Jerry or Rob or Ray or, you know. Or if you feel more comfortable talking to women, there's always Sheba and Sharon and Mary and Cindy. Most of us have little name tags on, so if you don't know who we are, we're there. We're there for you. And what we'd love to do with you is just pray for you. And if you just need prayer today, I'll be up here for a while and you can come up and we can talk and pray for whatever you want to. Or with any of the deacons, as 
Jerry's over there, and Rob Butz is in the back, and Rob's over here. We'd be glad, wonderful to pray with you. Be a real blessing to us. So let's close with this prayer. Father God, we love you. You are such a good, good God. That you love us as sinful and as despicable as we can be. You still love us when we put our trust in your son, Jesus. Father, touch people's hearts this morning. All the points we talked about. What do we, what do we consider impediments to following you? Are we putting our attention on many things before we put our attention on you? Lord, we don't need to use you as the backstop. You should be the front line. Lord, I ask this morning that you you lift up and provide healing and comfort, peace and rest to, to Colin as he's uh, at home this morning not feeling well. Lord, for Jerry, for Miss Betty, Miss Beverly, just, Lord, there's so many people that we need to pray for. You know them all. And Father, I just ask that you... Put the Holy Spirit in place that He's able to talk and comfort these people. Encourage them. Lift them up. Give them joy and peace. And it's only the peace and joy that you can bring us, Father. I pray this this morning in, in your Son, Jesus' most precious and magnificent name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.